We have a new sponsor here at In The Money Media. Wanted to tell you about it's Cut, K-U-T-T. This is a peer-to-peer social betting platform that's legal in 37 states plus D.C. where you can bet on sports, politics, and pop culture. Cut handles the payment side of things so you never have to chase anyone down for money. Tons of social features, group chats, betting leaderboards, much, much more. Cut, the social betting platform that lets you put your money where your mouth is. Check it out, kutt.com. And right now we've got a special offer for In The Money Media listeners, a 10% deposit bonus up to 100 in credits when you use our promo code In The Money. Check it out now, cut.com, In The Money. We're also very excited to welcome back Monmouth Park as a sponsor this season. The meet is about to get ready and rocking. Opening day is May 13th, and there's a lot of dates you're going to want to be circling on your calendar, including the Pick Your Prize contest on Saturday, June 3rd. Haskell Preview Day on June 18th. We're going to have a special live stream in conjunction with the contest that day. Lots of stakes action that day. And then, of course, the $1 million TVG.com Haskell Stakes will take place on Saturday, July 22nd. Mark your calendars and follow Monmouth Action all meet long right with us at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our Kentucky Derby and Kentucky Oaks review show. The date is Tuesday, May 9th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in the Brooklyn bunker once again. Special hello to the folks watching on our YouTube channel. This was the first time at the Derby I think I had as many people come up to me and say, oh, I love your YouTube channel as I love the podcast. I thought that was an interesting uh, little twist. It was great seeing everybody out there. Thanks especially to those of you who said hello. Um, Let us know what you thought of uh, these performances over Derby and Oaks weekend down in the comments. I am joined to go over these races by uh, my good friend and uh, crack thoroughbred analyst you know his work from in the money podcast.com um from uh from sam houston he is nick tamaro nick what's going on doing well my friend good to be back for a little recap it's been a long trail and so uh there's been a lot of uh, a lot of stops along the way and we finally did it 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 was a crazy derby i mean i cannot i mean the favorite scratching the morning of the race we've seen that movie before but just the general, all the attrition in the field getting close to the race for all, all for various um, and unrelated reasons. It just it left us um, it left us in in a very in a very different position, and and it gives us a little bit more to talk about. I'd say, especially in terms of uh, in in terms of what happened with the, the the favorite, a horse who you know it's very hard to see having been out of the frame based on his body of work. How do you? gone on to compete but let's not give short shrift to the winner mage who reports home with a 105 buyer speed figure the son of good magic what did you think of of this effort did it surprise you what what were your general reactions to the result of this year's kentucky derby um you know i think his overall effort was a little surprising i didn't know if he had uh that kind of effort in him coming from 
that far off the pace. Um, I think that was probably the biggest and most surprising thing about it. We knew that he was a horse with a pretty significant amount of talent. And we saw that from early on. I didn't think the 10th Verlong would be his friend. And in retrospect, the, the training really had a lot to do with it, with his ability to get the distance. And Gustavo Delgado, who, you know, our mutual friend uh, Ramiro mentioned in a lot of the, the, the press so far, has a, a great skill with getting horses to go longer. Right. And a lot of those six furlong works ended up having one mile gallop outs. And uh, you can build stamina into horses. There's no doubt about it. And so, you know, the, the thing about Mage, obviously, is that he's always had potential. And, you know, we felt like this crop had potential. Nobody was just putting it together on the racetrack. And they finally did. And they did it on the big stage. I think that's very well put. The, the, my biggest takeaway from a horse playing handicapping standpoint is I think when I look back at his last two races now, it seems like one of the best examples you'll ever see of running efficiency and also why I'm always banging on on the podcast about oh, this horse moved fat, moved early into a fast pace. I think that was part of the reason, in my opinion, why he didn't win the last day and why he was able to run so demonstrably better this time around. Ramiro, when I had him on in the live long shot video, did say as nicely as he could, he wishes, you know, it was Saez, right, in the Florida Derby who wrote him, that he wishes he, you know, sat a little bit longer and, and made the move. And this time around, Castellano, to me, it was just like a master class in efficient riding. And when you ride a horse efficiently and you meet out furlongs in similar times, that in conjunction with the, the training aspect you mentioned, you, you can see some pretty special things. And I think he was ridden ideally to produce a really impressive time figure. We were waiting for the breakthrough effort on the clock from this group, we finally got it with Mage and Two Fills putting up this uh, 105, 104. Have you looked at the figure? Do you are you in accordance with the figure? You think it's? I mean, it seems like it's pretty indisputable across different uh, figures that I've seen so far on the race. Yeah, it looks good. It looks uh, very, very solid. It fits with the rest of the card quite nicely. Um, the only race that was a little bit of an outlier was the very last race, which um, usually they have to turn the lights on for that, or they're close to it. So that might have a little something to do with the uh, the last race looking particularly slow. It's a big projection on the buyer scale. Um, it's, like a, it's a big, big, big upward projection. So we'll see how those horses run back. I mean, the Derby figure looks very good. It looks uh, it looks really solid. In the spirit of doing very strange things on our airwaves from time to time, I believe Susan's scheduled a grocery delivery for right now. I'm not even going to edit this. I'm just going to run, hit the button, let the guy in, and come and come right back. So I'll ask you a question uh, first, and I'll, we'll, we'll talk about the stretch drive. Did you think two fills was going to be able to hang on there? For a second, um, I did think that there would be uh, – I thought that that he could sneak away. You know, you go from – conditioning your eyes to look for so many different things on the turn in a race like the Derby. And so you could see, you know, Jareth Loveberry very high in the saddle at the quarter pole. And it was like, wow, two fills has a lot, but you also saw that there were, a, you know, it was a group of horses coming around the outside and Dermasodagake and Mage had similar silks. And so I was kind of hoping that it was Dermasodagake, but <laughs> I realized quickly when they straightened away that it wasn't, um, 
I did think that maybe two fills could sneak away. Um, but, I, you know, once they once they straightened out, it kind of felt like Major was going to run him down. And so, you know, taking nothing away from, you know, I think I think we can probably individually have conversations about the top three finishers. So in the context of speaking specifically about Mage, you know, it looked like he was going to have more than enough to get him. Yeah, it felt it felt to me like he was always getting there from my from my vantage point. Um, but it was a heck of an effort from from two fills and, and a horse that, you know, I was sort of brought around to in large part by Maggie Wolfendale's analysis. I thought that was a great point she made about, you know, if he was really just some synth monster, why didn't he work better at the sale on the synth? And I, I came around to this idea that he was just a horse that um, the last race, well, the synth certainly didn't hurt him. It was just a horse who was, who was improving and, and, and he ran very well. A point a lot of people have made about both the top two finishers and a point I know you'll have some sympathy for is, is it is great as much as we love the top players in the game and they come on the shows and they, they lend us a hand from time to time there's more than a handful of people who can train a horse. That's a point we've seen made in a lot of different corners of Twitter that it, it, it's hard to disagree with. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And, um, you know, I'm not somebody that, and I, you're not either, that is going to ever sort of lament the uh, number of horses that guys like Brad Cox and Todd Pletcher and Chad Brown have. They've built their business to sustain that. But it is nice to see that, yeah, that the guys with smaller, smaller stables, um, smaller outfits. I mean, Larry Ravelli's still based in Chicago and, you know, Chicago racing obviously is not nearly what it once was. Yeah, it was good to see. It was heartening. And it is a good reminder that, right, it's it's not there are more than three people, three or four people who can train horses. <laughs> that, yeah, I mean, racing just becomes I mean, the issue with the super trainer phenomenon is racing becomes it just becomes less competitive because you have. Those big trainers, obviously, they're look. I mean, for the biggest prizes, they're going to run their horses against each other because they have different owners, etc. But just in terms of the general plotting of the course throughout the year, you, you end up with less competitive racing when when they're going to send their three top three year olds to three different prep races, etc. So, I mean, it is it is nice to see in terms of not just field size, but also then competitive tactics within a race to have to have more. Uh, things spread out a little bit more so i think that's where that's where that comes from it's not some it's not some you know hatred of the successful that would just be silly yeah i mean i've seen people talk about you know limiting the amount of horses a trainer could have and and stuff like that i mean and that just that really flies in the face of a free market type of uh of activity that you know i mean our country's known for that yes. so it's you know if seth Klarman wants to have 80 horses in training with chad brown nothing should stop him Right. And so, you know, I, I, I still remind people that five years and a month ago, Brad Cox had never won a grade one. Right. So the fact that he had seven horses in the Oaks and Derby is because he's had a lot go well in the last five years. And if you look at those clients that he had those horses for, I mean, they're all clients that have used a variety of different trainers, but he has done an exceptional job for them. So, you know, that's going to happen. And when you win, you know, winning, winning breeds success. And I think that market dynamics, you know, should point out, I mean, if it's me, I, you know, those, those guys are fantastic, but the point that we were making before about how many people can train horses, you know, I, if I were getting into the game, I love the idea 
of being the most important client for an extremely uh, competent barn. And, and, you know, hopefully results like this will make will make people see this in the, in the market as markets do will, will correct itself rather than having it have to be legislated. I mean, I have some sympathy for that point of view but of, of maybe trying to do something to to limit stables, but I think it's I think it's the market that has to do it. I, I don't think I think you're right. It's kind of un-American to legislate something like that, even though I you know I get the positive benefits that would come from. It. Yeah, totally. I think exactly. If if the uh, you know if the market handled it, it would be ideal. So what else about Mage? What do you think his prospects are going forward? It sounds like they're leaning towards Baltimore, which would be great. Um, you know that'll if he doesn't go, that's gonna. We'll have to rehash all that stuff from last year. We already have all that content, by the way. If you want to go back and listen to Steve, Chris, and Randy Moss debate the Triple Crown series as presently constructed, I don't think you'll hear too many better arguments in either direction if you want to find that one in the archive. But I'm hoping Mage goes and we'll have – we can focus on race instead of the the, the sort of system, you know? Yeah, I mean, boy, I, I, you know, and we obviously know, you know, we know Ramiro a little bit, but, um, and I'm, I think they're going to go, um, but I hate that we're at a point where we even have to wonder whether the Derby winner is going to go to the Preakness, and, and you know, this, this whole idea that the Preakness is, I, like, I had a guy, you know, I had a guy tweet to me the other day, and he said, well, I'd much rather win the Travers than the Preakness or the Belmont. And I wanted to tell him, well, what part of upstate New York are you from? <laughs> I was going to say, I could see me saying that as somebody who has a house in Saratoga. But yeah, exactly. Right. And look, I love Saratoga and I love the Travers as well. But, you know, just because it's called the Midsummer Derby doesn't mean it's part of the Triple Crown. Right. right? And so, uh, you know, it's not it's not the Triple Crown is sacred. And so what I don't understand about it is that if you're training your horse for the Derby. Right. And I don't train horses at all aren't you training them for all three, right? Aren't you training them because if you win the Derby, you're going to try and win the damn triple crown. Like, isn't that the whole point? And I understand you can't do that. There's elements that you can't do in advance. The guys that have been successful with it, obviously Bob Baffert is somebody that trains his horses very, very hard. So they are super fit. They have a ton of stamina. And I'll tell you one other thing. I'm very excited about him being back in 2024. That might ruffle some feathers, but I'm glad it's going to be fun to have Baffert or actual Baffert horses back in the mix. Anyway, that's an aside. So, yeah, I think Mage will go. I think he'll be very dangerous. The uh, concern that I have, depending on how the field comes together, is that the the style that they used in Louisville is not always the most preaknessable style. You know, it's not a race where you can win from deep in the pack most years. The good thing is Mage seems pretty versatile. So, I mean, if they leave it in Javier's hands and he's uh, he's pretty adept in terms of figuring out pace scenarios pretty quickly, you know, his sitting back in 15th, 12 lengths off the lead might become sitting back in 6th or 7th, 7 lengths off the lead. So the good thing about him is, and I'll tell you the other thing, and I'm not going to go into the tortured conversation of Pimlico's turns, but... Um, <laughs> Look at, you know, looking at Mage's last two races, and I think it has probably has something to do with his size. He handles turns very, very well. Yeah. He really accelerates on the turns. So um, Gulfstream having much more sweeping turns than Churchill, but um, you can really appreciate it watching the head on. And I watched the head on a couple of times and 
And I thought, wow, this horse really, you know, there's a there's a key part of this race that we can talk a little bit more about this in, in talking about multiple horses in the field where he makes a big move around the turn. And I think that's kind of the decisive move. So I like his prospects in Baltimore. Um, everybody that bet him in the, the Preakness future is going to really like it because yeah. he was, I think, 20, 24 to 1. Terrific. The Preakness future was in, was a really nutty outcome, but um, yeah, I, I think he's got a, he's got a real good chance of winning this next leg as well. Yeah, it's he, he's uh, it, it's interesting. Now let me back up for those we got some newer people. So it used to be said that the, yeah the the tighter turns of Pimlico would suit certain horses until you know I don't know if it was Google Earth or whatever we were able to finally prove that the turns are actually I think a little bit wider at Pimlico. Than they are, yeah. That had nothing to do with it. Historically, you know, big picture of life, historically, Preakness, uh, Pimlico, more of a speed favoring surface. I don't really know. I don't really know that that's the case anymore. I mean, maybe maybe to some degree, certainly not like it used to be where you, you just see ridiculous betting on on inside horses there all the time. Um, yeah, I I think that he'll, I just think he's suited by, the, the turns in general, like you said, and in any time that, you know, it's basically his next several tasks are going to be in his wheelhouse. I mean, I don't, let's talk about the pace for a second. Cause I was surprised for one that they went so nutty, especially after, especially after last year. And I do think the draw probably had something to do with it. I mean, I think Gaffleone and verifying getting the two meant that they felt, and they're probably not wrong at all. You had to go from down there or you were going to risk, you know, it didn't work out, obviously. Um, but when you're when you're stuck down there with this, with a speed horse, you, you got to go. And then you know, Kings Barnes. I think they decided their chance was to go. And then Johnny on uh, reincarnate the same thing. And I don't know. And then it just got away from them a little bit as fast as they went early. And we were in a situation where things were going to uh, provide that kind of meltdown. You look where the first three finishers um, ended up. It, it, it was obviously a race that that flowed towards horses coming off the pace like mage on paper. I didn't think mage had to be that far back at all. And I don't know if it was breaking a step slow and I, I you know, maybe what, maybe it was mage breaking a step slow and Javier being able to, from the, what was he in the eight? So he was able to see what was unfolding in front of him and making that talk about jockeys and split second decisions. He just made that split second decision. I'm just going to get my horse into a rhythm. I'm going to run efficiently. I'm going to see what happens as opposed to, you know, shaking the reins and trying to get him up there in the Vanguard, even though on paper, he was a horse that based on at least his first run could have been a lot closer. So it's interesting to see, has he now, I guess the question is, has he developed as a deep closer or is he a horse that could have a lot more tactical speed in, in Pimlico? Good question, right? I mean, one of one of the determining factors is going to be his ability to get out of the gate, because he still didn't get out of the gate all that great on on uh, on Saturday, and he is right. He is a horse that uh, seemingly I've tried to figure out what his gate issues are. For the most part, it's that the gate opens and he just doesn't really lunge forward, and mm -hmm. and I don't know if he's maybe a little little timid or you know a little unsure of himself coming out of there. I'm not I'm not sure. They can generally work with that. It's kind of odd that you'd have to gate school a derby winner, but um, it does seem like he probably needs a little bit more practice with that. The, yeah, you know, we, gosh, we debated the pace of this race for four months and, and, you know, you kind of knew that as we were stacking a little bit more speed on top of each other, 
the um, the pace was going to get a little bit faster. There's also a moment in the opening quarter mile when they run that, you know, that mad scramble in front of the Twin Spires where the three horses that you mentioned are in front and there's kind of a group of three a little bit behind them and then they get away from them. And right at the wire, they sort of open up about two or three lengths and that's when you realize, okay, this is going to get fast. <laughs> Obviously, the more separation you see in a race, the faster the pace. So that was when you kind of knew they're they're cruising. And by the time they got halfway down the backstretch, you know, the 45 and three felt like this is really going to take a toll on the front runners. Um, at that point, the horses that looked like they were traveling best were two fills in confidence game. And, you know, I saw Keith DeSormo say that he thought maybe, maybe he allowed confidence game to train too aggressively and that he had a little bit too much speed. And it was like, well, two fills had the same amount of speed and he finished a hell of a lot closer than you did. So, you know, that that was surprising. The ability of a horse like Two Fills to withstand that pace and stay on, not that surprising to me. He had basically done that twice in New Orleans. Right. So, and he did it in just a much more thorough and um, I guess you could say fashionable t- way in terms of, of staying on to finish second. So, yeah, it, it was, you know, for all the, the worry that we had for a period of time about it being a slow-paced derby, it's kind of funny. I mean, now we've gotten two fast-paced derbies in a row. And, you know, maybe we need that Bob Baffert horse back that can just dictate terms to everybody and back the pace down a little bit um, because we've, we've had two things go, you know, the other direction the last two years. I was curious to see if on time form, um, two fills actually was upgraded above Mage on the algorithm for being so much closer to that, uh, to that fast pace. But, it, but that's not the way the numbers came out. It, interestingly, um, it, the 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 ability rating on time form, the one that the algorithm treats with the pace dynamics, is actually identical. One twenty four for Mage um, and both, and one twenty three for Two Fills. But the way I look at the world, you can make a case that Two Fills absolutely ran as as well as the winner. What are the chances that he's going to come back at Pimlico? Well, apparently, as of la- uh, later in the day yesterday, Larry Ravelli texted someone and said it's a no go. Okay. Um, that it comes back too quick, which I just can't even begin to describe what a mistake that is. That is just a, you have a super sharp inform horse that was off for six weeks prior to the Derby ran like that, leave him in the barn for five weeks and see what you get back. Right. Okay. And it's just very unlikely that he'll perform at the same level. Now, I mean, would they go to the Belmont? I don't, I don't have a particularly huge amount of concern about that horse getting a mile and a half. And he could be very, very dangerous in a slower paced race, especially if, you know, if he's dictating terms to everyone else. So yeah, they're, they're not going. Um, and so goes my 27 to one future on two fills. <laughs> the future bet we'll have to get into, but let's yap about uh, some of these top finishers a little bit more. Um, Angel of Empire, in theory, the race should have been run to suit. Um, was there was there an excuse? I mean, he was he was of a of a you know he and Mage were traveling together at one point, and and it looked like Mage was just better on the day. And I, and I'm not sure why that form is getting reversed anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not as strong as Path. Um, there's a key moment. I talked about this with Spencer on Redboard Rewind. There's a key moment at, at about a half mile to go where. 
it's almost as if Javier knows that his biggest concern is Angel of Empire because he can sense it's a fast-paced race and that these horses are going to come back to him. He probably knew what he had under him at that point too. And I'm sure he looked over and he saw Pratt looked like he had plenty of horse as well. They, they start moving together and there's a spot at about the three-eighths pole that both of them need to get to. One of them needs to get to first and the horse that gets there first is probably going to win. And Mage got there a lot faster. Yeah. that in part is I think because Mage accelerates better on turns. He also had more horse. And from that point to the wire, the margin stayed about the same. Mage was about a length and a half in front of him at that point, And he was about a length and a half in front of him at the finish. So Angel of Empire to me ran his race. He ran his best race and it was third best. You know, it was, it was not any better than third best. He ran better than disarmor hit show. So it was third best. Um, no excuse there. Um, don't see a world in which this horse is a Belmont horse, but Brad wants to go there because I think he probably figures distance is, is his friend, but um, I'd bring this horse back in the Preakness hundred percent roll the dice that you're getting a fast pace and try and, and do that. He just does not, does not strike me as a, a Belmont type horse. What of disarm? I mean, boy, we talked about him a lot as a live long shot. And you got 27 to one on him on the day in the end, he can finish no better than fourth. Didn't break great, but, no, all in all, I thought this was a nice effort from a horse who outran his odds, certainly. Yeah, it feels like there's a race out there for this horse. It feels like he's probably a little bit better than we thought post-Lexington. I saw a lot of chatter on him during the week, and I thought, wow, this horse this horse doesn't really look that good on paper. And it kind of looks like should be, you know, rerouted to some softer spots. But he ran well, all things considered. Um, I saw Asmussen mention, he actually mentioned the Preakness which, you know, would be his fourth start in, in what, seven weeks or so, um, eight weeks. Yeah. So, you know, I, I could see it. And, and in, in Asmussen, I trust he's a guy that, you know, by, by percentage, he runs his good horses way more than the average bear. So um, he also has red route one for the same connections, but, you know, I think even Steve would admit that red route one style is not really the most appealing um in terms of winning winning two turn dirt races so yeah good good effort all in all you mentioned you're burned up uh to phil's preakness bet mine was well my main one was first mission but i did come back after the forte scratch not really realizing the rules in kentucky my bad and think that uh there was a good chance we'd see forte in the preakness and uh i was excited about uh i i felt clever for about 30 seconds until i felt like the dumbest man in the world so how does that work if you're on that vets list in kentucky you you you're you basically just can't enter for 14 days is that is that the the idea Um, yeah exactly I probably should have known that um, somebody who works. Well, and the other thing, so uh, my understanding, and actually Cherie DeVoe tweeted back to me that there was a, I guess there's an option in terms of what the scratch is designated as. And if you're not a vet scratch, but you're a trainer scratch, you can get off the vets list faster. Interesting. Forte was listed as a vet scratch. So I don't know if Todd was given the option or exactly how that shook out but yeah i mean it it kind of it kind of shaped up as a pissing match between him and the vet and i'm sure michael poli was involved in that um who apparently was trying to negotiate with the vet which i don't think that was ever gonna gonna work um and so you know just my two cents on it and i have a great amount of respect for 
I've been watching Todd Pletcher win major races for 25 years. So it, it almost felt to me like he was going to try and prove the vet wrong by winning the Preakness. And it's just one of those scenarios where if I had his ear for a second, I would tell him, Todd, you're the only one with anything to lose. Yeah. Like the vet doesn't care if your horse wins the Preakness. Right. And your horse winning the Preakness doesn't mean the vet was wrong. Right. 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 So just don't go down that road. Like you don't have much to gain. And, and you have a horse that, I mean, Christ, he could still win the eclipse. Like it might, it's, it's, he still has better credentials than Mage does. Right. You know, so regroup and get to the Haskell, get to the Travers, something like that. You know, get this horse in one piece. Even if you think he is, then just buy the public perception for a minute, which is that you're going to do everything right because you've always done that throughout your whole career and just regroup. You know, forcing a square peg into a round hole, even if you think he's 100% fine, it just seems like the wrong thing to do. It's so complicated because I really fully, fully believe he was a victim of circumstance. We're not going to get into the, on this show, we're going to get into on other shows, you know, what happened during the week with the the, the, the seven fatalities and, and what that means for our sport. And it's nothing great, but <laughs> we're going to leave that aside. But if that doesn't happen, Forte runs. I mean, I, I, to me, it's, it was a weird combination of, you know, if horse racing Twitter doesn't exist, I think Forte runs. I just think that it became such a talking point of, of oh, you know, from, from whatever it was, from Wednesday on, whispers um that became chatter about forte scratching that i think that state vet now i'm no horseman um and i couldn't see anything wrong with with him either of the times they pulled him out real horseman didn't love the way he looked the, the first day when they pulled him out and the second day said well he doesn't look great but that's probably just him was sort of the consensus on the on whatever the issue was um, when he was walking on the road the second day, but from the state vet and, you know, I, I trust Todd Pletcher more than I trust the state vet. I trust the other vets who, you know, were on side with this horse running probably more than the state vet, but I also have deep sympathy for the state vet and the political pressure that I'm sure he was under because God forbid something could have happened to this horse that was completely unrelated to the left front or right front or whatever whatever one it was that wasn't you know looking its best i think it could have been the end of racing <laughs> i mean it's racing is racing an onslaught unlike anything it's ever seen from the rest of this stuff that you know we'll again we'll dive into in another show if something had happened to the derby favorite like uh, i i really and truly believe this was political and i have sympathy for everybody involved um and i understand why you know Pletcher looked like, you know, if looks, this is an, if, if looks could kill, they'd need a new state vet. Let's put it that way. Um, but, you know, in the end, I, I think your course of action is, is the smartest one. And I think that's the one they're almost have to, they're almost going to have to go down, right? They're not going to, they're not going to come back into Belmont with this horse, are they? Doubtful. Um, I think the barn has a, maybe has a better can, Belmont candidate or two. You know, my understanding over the last couple of years, too, from friends that are that are involved in racing, you know, horsemen in Kentucky is that the state vet is very aggressive. I mean, in terms of that, they're they're very stringent on the rules, um, very strict in terms of how they apply them. So not terribly shocking. I mean, did they did they become more interested in 
assessing whether Forte could run because he bobbled in a workout or in a gallop that got all over Twitter. Yeah. Maybe, you know, but there probably was somebody there who made note of that as well and wanted to then see how he performed in subsequent days. So yeah, it, uh, they obviously keeping the field safe is something that's very important. And it was at a premium on, uh, on Saturday because of all that had gone on during the week and uh, you know, it left him in that scenario. So I don't, it's a tough situation. It's obviously very hard for the connections because you know, you're not going to bring the Derby favorite over too often, but um, at the same time, you know, the game can't afford to have anything jeopardized. Yeah. And, and again, it's not that he was, I don't think there's any way this horse was unfit to run. I really, I can't believe that for a second that he'd be unfit to run and Pletcher would have him run. I think he's a victim of politics and circumstance, but I also, but I also like kind of agree that the politics are worth taking into consideration in light of this, this bigger, bigger picture, but we're in danger of going on a tangent. I don't want to go to on this show. So let's go back to some of the horses in this field. Uh, Hit show ran pretty darn good down from that uh, inside post, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, that, that's my Belmont horse now for sure. I mean, he he ran a very efficient race in terms of a, of a, a Belmont candidate, um, much closer to the pace than expected, stayed on very well. And, you know, all the report coming in was that he was clearly training the worst of the Brad Cox horses. He just might not be much in the morning. Um, which which seems to make sense. He's not, you know, he's kind of a big lumbering horse. So, uh, yeah, I thought he ran very well um, to, to have his style and be as close as he was and, and kind of stay on as nicely as he did. I thought it was a really solid performance. I didn't feel embarrassed by my Derma Sotogake top selection based on the way that he didn't break at all a horse that has right. speed. I mean, very clearly smashed into the side of that gate. Might have had half the wind knocked out of him and certainly had zero position early and chugged along. It was a far electric move, but nothing embarrassing either. He was one for me that I would have loved to see come back in the Preakness, not just out of my own uh, pride of wanting him to do well here sooner than later, but also just because of how the racing calendar unfolds there. I wonder I wonder what went into that. Maybe we'll get some intel from somebody on our uh, Japanese uh, team that we have here at uh, at In The Money Media. But, you know, in short, I think all the people, you know, maybe the people who said, oh, he's got no chance, no UAE Derby winner's ever going to win, uh, maybe they get to feel smug for a minute. But I, I don't think this is really a data point in their favor. It, it, it's, a, it's a tie. Yeah, that horse didn't lose because he ran the UAE Derby. Right. I mean, that's, that's just, yeah, that's that's silly. But everybody you know, beats their chest about different things. Um, I think the combination of him breaking poorly and also Christoph Lemaire obviously having firmly in his mind, don't do what I did last year. Don't do what I did last year. Don't do what I did last year. <laughs> you know, I think it probably got him a lot farther back than than he needed to be in order to produce his best effort. But um, no, no embarrassment in it at all. And I'm, I'll, so far, I'll stand on that hill. I don't want to say I'll die on it, but I'll stand on that hill that Japan will win a derby before, uh, before too long. Okay, Nick, we'll be right back after this word from our sponsors. Our friends at Horseshoe Indianapolis have listened to horse players and removed the Straight Fire 6 jackpot from the wagering menu and replaced it with a second pick five. Now, the first five thoroughbred races will include a pick five 
as will the last five, and both have industry low takeouts of just 11.99%. These are ones you want to get involved in. Also want to let you know that for Indiana Derby weekend, Horseshoe Indy is going to be hosting back-to-back -back NHC qualifiers. That's Friday, July 7th, and Saturday, July 8th. Both are going to be live money contests. Two will advance from the Friday session for advancing from Saturday. There's also going to be a contest on December 2nd with the top four advancing as well. Lots of seats on the line. Lots of horse player friendly bets happening with our partners at Horseshoe Indianapolis. I couldn't be happier to have Naira back in the fold as well through the rest of 2023. We're going to be featuring Saturday racing coverage each week on the Late Week Players Pod, as well as daily write-ups and analysis at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You can actually find our stuff via the Naira website as well under the Picks, Plays, and Promotions tab. Lastly, do not miss out on watching America's Day at the Races coverage across the Fox family of networks for a full schedule with what to find where, Go to InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash TV. What about Tapatrice? What's up with this horse? Like this race, if you told me beforehand the fractions, I'd have said Tapatrice wins for fun, I think might have been my might have been my excuse. Is he just a horse? Does he lack, is, is it an athleticism issue? Is it a not wanting to run in behind horses issue where, you know, does he need a fast, does he, one of these horses that just needs the, the right combination of circumstances, fast pace and a short field at a place like Belmont with big turns to be shown to best effect what's what's I mean he had a trip for sure but I mean are we starting to think he's the kind of horse that contributes to making his own uh, bad trips I don't know Pete I, he was bad <laughs> you're not you're not even giving I was only giving half credit you don't you don't even want to give that I mean look he's back there with the with the one two one three finishers right and and they finished a mile ahead of him. And I'll tell you the other thing. There's a few a few spots along the way on the, on the Tapatrice trip that are worth mentioning. He never really picked up, right? He didn't break as he has had problems breaking in the past. He really didn't have an issue breaking this time. He doesn't have any speed. That's the problem. So he got he got shuffled out because he doesn't have much speed and. You know, it was exactly as we figured in the first quarter mile or so. He was inside. Saez is desperately trying to get outside. You know, everybody else in the field didn't feel obligated to give Luis a direct path to the outside like he got in the bluegrass. And, of course, that led to him being last, going under the wire the first time. And then there's, you know, there's a moment, and in Travis Stone's call, he he brings it up pretty clearly where Tapatrice is last, turning into the back stretch. And, I mean, again, Mage is like two lengths in front of him. And Angel of Empire is, you know, a little bit closer than that. And he's already getting scrubbed on, which we sort of expected because he's a, a horse you to ride. Yeah, he's a bicycle horse. So he starts to move up along the inside and you think, okay, he's going to get into contact with the field. You know, maybe the excuses are that he is much more comfortable being outside. Maybe he's a horse that um, just needs a little bit better set of circumstances. I'm going to take this approach. He peaked in Lexington. Mm -hmm. I think will this he, is come back, he will come back in the he'll come the, back in the Belmont yeah he'll come back in the Belmont um you know assuming he's he's healthy um but he Paul Matisse made a great point on your your pro player figure roundtable show Todd Pletcher's horses very rarely peak in the Kentucky Derby and I think this horse is a good example of it I think he peaked in the in the bluegrass 
Because I'll tell you the other thing too is, I mean, they angle out in the stretch and Angel of Empire is about two lengths in front of him and he loses about four lengths on him. You know, they just sprinted away from him. And I don't know how much Saez was really working him over down the stretch, but even on the blimp cam on NBC, I mean, he's really just not picking up. So maybe maybe there were track-related excuses. Maybe they were thinking that. You want to compare this horse to a horse like Mo Donegal? Mo Donegal did a hell of a lot more running in the Derby than Tapatrice did. Yeah. And so that would be my concern. Um, uh, at this point, this is a horse that in the Belmont, I'll take my chances against because I think uh, it, it'll be a little bit more sizzle than steak for me in terms of, uh, of whether he's really got Belmont credentials. So let's look at through, unless you have anything else specifically on the Derby, take a quick look at who we think is going to turn up for the Preakness. Uh, anything sure. else on the Derby, any of those further back horses you thought were interesting or excusable to coming out of it or or ones you're dying for the cutback for now? Anything I'm like that? Them, I'm watching them come down the stretch and thinking about that. Um, I don't have one that I, uh, cutback-wise, Rocket Ken feels like a cutback. Seven yep. might be a little much. He didn't run that poorly for about three quarters of a mile. Uh, confidence game is probably a horse that would benefit from a cutback as well. He's None listed as probable right now for the Preakness. For the Preakness, he is. And, and I, I will admit I threw a couple of dollars on him in the future too because I felt like Ita Sormo was likely to run in both given how much time off he had. Um, I did kind of jokingly, I went through the whole field and put where they should run next on Twitter on Sunday morning. And I don't remember. Oh, Ray's Kane was my cutback. He was a horse. He actually didn't run that poorly. I oh, think he did. Yeah. 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 He feels like a great cutback for the Woody Stevens. He'd, he'd be my, he'd be my cutback. If, uh, if Ben Colbrook so chooses. Do you see any reason for confidence game to improve enough in the Preakness? I mean, would you, or, or it was more just, you were trying to get a starter in the gate with that thing. Yeah, exactly. I was trying to trying to have a, a a horse that I thought would probably be a bigger price in the futures. Now, I think he went off twenty five. Uh, I don't know how much shorter he'll go off than twenty five, right. but he is a Derby horse, so he'll get some support. Yeah, so, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that gets cut down a little, depending on all who all turns up. What where did first mission end up in the Preakness future bet? By the way, I was impressed. I was pleased three hundred thousand in that bet. That that ended up being I thought for something for something new, kind of a cool. Uh, Kind of a cool new bet. It's always fun seeing you know people, especially when they're uh, partners listening to our advice, uh, take take shots on stuff like this. But where did where did first mission end up in that pool? If you have it handy, he ended up uh, six to one. That's terrific. I think. Yeah, I, I got a piece of it for sure. Yeah, he'll be uh, shorter, than that. and he yeah, was yeah. all going to go. You know, so you didn't have that Willie or you know when you trying to price that for all the other for the Derby horses, it's it's two things. It's Will he go? What price will he be if he goes? It's a two-leg parlay. With first mission, it was a one-leg parlay, which is you know, always, almost always better on math. So we'll, uh, we'll in re in realistic terms. So we'll we'll take that. I mean, no reason to think that that uh, you know he's got these Bafferts to deal with too. In addition to you know Mage disarm and confidence game, it looks like. But I, but I feel good about that price. I think he'll be shorter on the day. Oh yeah, I think so too. Especially without Forte. I, actually, I think right now he's probably. He's probably going to be the second choice. So I think Mage will go off the favorite. Um, you know, Mage is still a horse who went off 15 to one in the Derby. So, I mean, he's not going to be a particularly short price. First missions PPs look very clean too. I mean, he's, he's two for three with a good second on debut with a 98 fig last time and, and a nice, 
you know, improving pattern. I know at least going into the Lexington, he was very fast on thoroughgraph too. I'm guessing Mage got a pretty good thoroughgraph fig for, for the Derby. Um, so the, yeah, I would imagine he'll be the second choice. Obviously no two fills. The Baffert you're referencing are national treasure and Arabian lion. I've just, I've never been a national treasure guy. I, I don't, I've never, I don't know, maybe being back with Bob will help, but those horses, they've just, they didn't really rebound all that quickly last year. Arabian lion just got beaten by first mission. I, my, when I saw the, the Preakness, the, uh, the notes yesterday and I saw Arabian night, I was like, Holy cow, Arabian night. You know, that's where the hell was. I should have bet the all others, but um, it was Arabian lion. So Arabian night did start galloping yesterday, but obviously he'd be, he'd be a ways away from a race. Um, so yeah, those look like the principles. I don't know who else Blazing would read. Sevens? Blazing Sevens is a possibility, yeah. But boy, do you really feel good about betting anybody from the bluegrass now? Right. Right. You know, not- I mean that that race felt like it it probably took it on the chin the most in terms of the preps that that didn't really play out. Oh, you know what we didn't talk about, which is a total host fail. Thinking speaking of uh you know, relevant derby points and form lines. You know, Forte doesn't get to compete, but his form line wins. How likely do you think it would have been that Forte would have won this derby? Put aside any concern. I don't know if you're as much like me that there was nothing physically wrong with the horse, but for the purposes of this question, say there was nothing physically wrong with the horse. I mean, there's people saying he definitely would have won. I don't know how you watch it and say there isn't a good chance he would have won, but where do you stand on that question? You know, it all would have boiled down to where he was positioned early. And, it, you know, the fact that he had not had as much speed in recent starts probably would have helped because it's a race where you wanted to come from a little bit farther off of it. The fact that they went, that they did what they did in terms of final time and figure and stuff like that, it would have taken a pretty good step forward for him. You know, it would have been a career best. It would have had to yeah, be a he, career best. He would have had to run a lot better. So, you know, do I think he would have probably been in the Superfecta? More than likely. Almost I don't have any reason to think he wouldn't have. Yeah, I want to say almost definitely. Like, just he was close, just in form terms, like close enough to Mage that, I mean, you know, it's the Derby. He could have been one of the victims of a trip and gotten knocked out. But it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to see too many scenarios given his running style and given the, the, you know, closeness in form, you know, I, it, there was a very good case to rate those two equally. Obviously the market was rating Forte so much more likely, I guess, I guess that's where the idea that he would have like won easily comes from, which, you know, you can't say, and, and, you know, I think you made the key point. It would have taken a career best. And then it gets back to the Paul Matisse point. Would he have been, would he have been ready to fire that career best? I, I don't know. I'm, I tend to be more, um, there's a lot of talk about Pletcher and how on the raw numbers, what his percentage is in the Derby and all this and that. I, I don't know. I, with that horse, I, I would have trusted him. I would have expected a career best from Forte, I guess is what I'm saying. And, and again, I think that puts him either first or second. I think the most likely scenario is he's in the exacto with, with, with Mitch. Maybe I'm overrating him, but that's, that's, that's kind of how I'm looking at the world. I think you're overrating him, but uh, just to be perfectly honest, Um, but, but, you know, with that caveat, he is a horse that had shown some exceptional ability prior to this race and not really anybody else had. So there's, there's that factor. Um, The one thing I'll say about the taking the results at face value, 
there was a chasm between Mage and Forte in the Fountain of Youth. It was not a chasm in the Florida Derby. Right. It was a much smaller margin. And in fact, most people, better. most trip, trip handicappers are going to tell you that Mage ran better. The likelihood that Forte, I mean, to say Forte wins that race because Forte beat Mage twice is to totally misunderstand their last two races. And I'm not saying at all that you're doing that. So, but you can't deny that Forte had beaten Mage the last two times, right? I'm not somebody that generally thinks in racing, well, that horse is just better. They'll continue to beat them because it did look like Mage was getting better with each passing start. So, you know, for for a comparison point and for somebody to ridicule me about, I think Forte would have run third. Yeah. I mean, that's a completely likely scenario too, because the two fills effort, you could say that the two fills form line and the figure he was running. Yeah. The idea that he would have split them completely realistic to me other than two fills though. I have, I do think that, you know, Forte would certainly be a favorite to beat, uh, to beat the to beat the rest of them, you know, and I and I would have evaluated yeah. him pretty similarly to Mage uh, to Mage. Go. I mean, I would have given extra credit to Forte based on the body of work, but like looking at raw numbers and trips and things. Anyway, it's it's uh, it's certainly not as simple as Forte would have won. I, I don't think that at all. I just think I just think that form. We were talking about the different form lines coming into the race. That's the one I feel like gets covered in the most uh, in the most glory coming out of Florida, as opposed to as opposed to you were saying maybe denigrating the bluegrass form line. I don't disagree with that. California, it's not really fair, but I mean, I will say this: Mandarin Hero ran. Ran a race making me think that the Paul Matisse more conservative version of what the California figure was. Um, oh, no, it's the other way around. Paul was the one who had that faster, right? No, the Sean com- had it fast. Paul had it slow. Yeah. Oh, oh that's how it went. Sorry. Paul was like big time anti-California. Yeah. And and the, 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 anti, the anti-California opinion, it, 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 look, it's one data point. You can't say anything definitively. But Mandarin Hero didn't do anything for that form is what I'm trying to say. He did not. He uh, it did not does not look like it'll hold up very well. Um, and we won't see practical mover Skinner for a while. The piece I read yesterday was that Tim Yakteen was getting them all back home and going to assess where they'd go from there. But doesn't look like we'll see. We definitely won't see them on the Triple Crown. Um, any of those California horses now. I was hoping Skinner, you know, if it was just a I don't know, but I don't it's one of those things when they have a fever. Like sometimes the press will treat that like, oh, it's a fever. Like they could still run in the Preakness, but you know, they the, the old school horsemen say walk a week in the shed row for every day. They have a fever like that. <laughs> so one day a fever was going to knock him out of the Preakness. I was hoping if he bounced back quickly, there was a chance for the Belmont, but you're hearing no for Skinner. Uh, it didn't sound that way. The article yesterday said that uh, Sheriff's was going to look at some options and he mentioned the affirmed. So I guess there's a chance. Um, I just don't know. You know, the other thing is he's eligible for a one other then. And so there could, you know, there could be an opportunity for them to just try and go the easy route. But um, the problem is you lose a one other then it's like, okay, where are you going now? But yeah, yeah I, I don't, I don't think we'll see him back. Um, a lot of it will depend on what happens in the Preakness. You know, we should, we should have a pack. I, I say this every year. I'm, I'm, I'm exhausting myself that we should have a packed Belmont gate every year, no matter what, right. The mile and a half is a huge equalizer. So it's, it's, they're not they're not born to run a mile and a half. It really does take a lot of the separation out. And, you know, anybody that looks particularly geared towards doing that this year is not all that formidable. 
Yeah, well, I think you're you're you're. I like your early Belmont call, though. We we, we were chatting about before. Should we move on to the Oaks for the for for do a little ten minute segment on the Oaks here? Is there anything else on on Derby or Preakness before we move it along? No, I think we can we can definitely head to the Oaks. All right, let's talk Oaks, which um, was won by a horse that we we talked about a bunch. But uh, I don't think anybody was smart enough. Oh no, Maggie Wolfendale was smart enough to put on top in the in the conversations we had in the in the preview shows, and that doesn't surprise me because she's so good with horse flesh, and that was definitely one of the the, the talking horses, the buzz horses in the Oaks. Um, pretty mischievous for for Brendan Walsh and, and Tyler Gaffleone. I was just. Um, you know, I was all about wet paint in here, and we'll get to that one in a minute. But uh, how good did you think the Oaks was in general? Um, and, you know, for for what we had seen from that division, it was very solid um, in terms of, of speed figure and and expectation. Uh, great ride by Tyler to to lose, you know, really as little ground as possible on Pretty Mischievous. It was it was pretty incredible oh, cool. in that, you know, from that yeah. perspective. Yeah. So. Um, you know, those were kind of the biggest takeaways I had. Uh, it was uh, pretty mischievous. Was training very well. Obviously, Brendan Walsh's horses generally do. He's a very good horseman, um, one of the more underrated out there. So I'm glad to see him get a a signature win. And you kind of knew going around the far turn. I mean, you saw where everybody was positioned, and you saw that you know Tyler looked like he had two fistful with uh, pretty mischievous and. She was going to be awfully tough when he let her loose. I think from a pace perspective, she ran really, really well. Uh, they went a very solid pace for this age group and and this particular field. She was never really that far off of it. She was about three lengths off, and she stayed on nicely. It was a it was a good, efficient effort, and uh, puts her at the head of the class. Yeah, definitely made a nice move as that race was heating up and, and you know, had that three-length lead and, and just barely holds on in the end a neck to Gambling Girl, who we'll get to in a minute. The time form algorithm did upgrade three points to a 114, so that's similar to a 94 uh, on the buyer scale. Buyer had it 92, so that those numbers mash, uh, mesh completely. So we're not talking about a historically significant Oaks, but we are talking about, you know, a uh, a decent effort certainly on the clock from from these Phillies. Um, gambling girl in second, but solid long shot. Just sort of uh, you know had a little bit of trouble early and grinded on under Irad and that uh, that that Pletcher sort of trip that we see sometimes in these big races. Ends up getting second, running a career best. The Alice look, my, the angle on her, I thought was I like I just liked how she looked with wet paint. And I thought wet paint was such a standout that there was a chance she'd run in right behind her or run close to her at a price. And boy, was she a big price 30 to one. However, so I guess I was right about her running close to wet paint. I just wasn't knowing it was going to be the third and fourth. So all my clever, I had all my clever trifecta includes up there, but didn't get the key horse for third. She needed a longer nose in the end. Yeah, she ran well. Um, she she was a horse that I had a little affinity for as, as well. Um, I should have given Pretty Mischievous more of a of an opportunity to win the race. Um, I I bought into the South Lawn situation a little too much late, and I really didn't early on. Um, you know, Norm Norm Cassie's barn was winning pretty much everything all winter, and things have evened out a little bit. But uh, yeah, the Alice look ran well. It was another another. Very strong performance for the Fairgrounds Oaks, which uh, you would have to imagine is likely headed to, it's got to be headed to grade one status at some point. You know, they're really, 
really getting up there in terms of how the the horses from that race have run. Yeah, I guess we're down to one grade one pre-Oaks prep, just the Ashland. I so, that- yeah, because I think the San Anita Oaks got downgraded. Yeah, that's so. Yeah, deal. I mean, maybe we're uh, look. I, I, this is a topic for a totally different show, but I'd like to see us have no grade one preps. But um, yeah. I think it would help. I think it would help a race like the Preakness. So, yeah, it was you know, Gambling Girl ran way, way, way better than I would have expected. Um, she is a horse that did. Now, for that matter, she did peak on Friday. So you know, but apparently she had tipped her hand a little bit in training and uh, had been training really well. So no great surprise there, but uh, she's a horse that I really didn't expect that kind of effort from at all. And she ran really well. What did I, I, I wrote about, I wrote positive things about her. I just think, I think I thought there was a chance she was going to, uh, she was going to trip out. Yeah. I mean, I started off criticizing the form of the gazelle, but I say she closed okay there against the flow. And I just thought she was one of the better finishers in the group. So I thought she could run in underneath. That was she had a lot of mile and eighth experience as well. She had a lot of bottom to her. So there's something to be said for that, you know, especially with most of these horses. I think the other 13 horses were all running mile and eighth for the first time, or I'm sorry, save uh, promise her America. Right. And uh, this Philly was doing it, I think for the fourth time. Yeah, that matters. That matters in a, in a test like this. What did you think of wet paint? Did the, did the argy bargy at the break harder, or is it, is it possible that race in Oakland just wasn't as good as I and many others thought it was? I mean, I, I think what we were a little bit seduced by is that, you you lose sight of the fact that it was almost amazing that a filly with the style of wet paint had gotten to this stage of her career without with her style without really ever having any issues mm-hmm. you know she never had a straw in her path at any point and i don't i don't think she had any early issues to me on friday she broke and she was in position and then faster horses got in front of her so I don't I don't think there's much excuse. Uh, Pratt said that she didn't handle the dirt at Churchill the way she handled it at Oaklawn. I think what he said was that the track is faster at Oaklawn and that probably um, helped her a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll admit he had her. I don't want to say substantially closer, but I'm going to I'm going to bet and I have not looked at her her pace line. I'm going to bet that she went quite a bit faster early at Churchill than she did at Oaklawn. And I think that that likely had a, a, a deleterious effect on her. Took her sting out, a sting out of that finish. Maybe there was also a moment from remembering the trip, right? There was also a moment where he could have gone inside or outside where he went inside and ended up, you know, he had a, it didn't have a clear run through the, through the stretch. And by the time he had clear sailing, the race was over. Um, of course, yeah. not third. Yeah, I mean, 516's pole, she's a length and a half in front of Gambling Girl who's circling up on the outside of her, and um, and he's looking to maybe try and, at that point, I mean, it's tough to to pick your way between horses, but, you know, the, the other part of it is that she just didn't really finish, you know, and so to, to the topic I was just bringing up, I mean, her pace line in the fantasy is 81, 99, 98, 106 in the... Uh, the race before that, it's 93, 88, 86, 100. And on Friday, it's 121, 117, 117, 108. So she just got burned up. Yep. Right. She's a Philly that didn't have the same punch, having to go that much quicker early. And, you know, I it's actually, 
hindsight's 2020, right? But um, looking, I should have looked at those pace figures and realized there's a pretty decent chance that she's going to be, she's going to be up against it if she has to be used at all in, in the opening stages. And I, and I only say that in retrospect, Pete, because eight to five was short on her. Yeah. Eight to five in the Oaks is supposed to be for horses that have really big, appreciable advantages on speed figures. And she didn't. No. You know, she looked good. Don't get me wrong, but she didn't look that good. Yeah. I, and I, I better. Believe me, I, I better. I, I, I needed her for everything, but it's one of those after the fact that you look at and you can say, you know, when you look in terms, I mean, I did ability figures for the race. And I mean, I did, she didn't have the kind of advantage to be that short. I just was so into her from a long way out that I, uh, I, I needed, I needed everything to go through. And it's not like she ran horribly. It just wasn't, wasn't what we were looking for. Um, is botanical worth pausing on? Did, did, did she have any appreciable excuse or does it look like despite that breeding that suggests she loved dirt that she just doesn't? I don't think she liked eating as much dirt as she did. Yeah, um, that, that, that may have been the big problem, but she got off to a bad start. And um, I mean, I think it really put her in a, a huge hole um, she just never picked up after that. So I don't, I wouldn't close the book on her on dirt. Uh, she's probably going to be better off in a smaller field. And look, a lot of these races end up with this, this division. This is the last 14 they'll ever see. So they'll, you'll end up in some six and seven horse fields. I would see uh, Brad potentially take the the back door route, maybe some of the Iowa Oaks, Indiana Oaks type races before maybe she would surface down the line at, at Saratoga or somewhere like that. Any particular spots you're interested in seeing these horses in going forward? Do we have an acorn horse that you're, you know, any, any spots you've circled down the line for any of these? I would assume that with the acorn being a mile and a 16th now, you'd likely see at least, I mean, all four of the top four finishers. I don't, you know, I don't know why um, you wouldn't see the winner come back there. I'm, I mean, I think you could certainly pencil in gambling girl for that spot, given it's in New York. Yeah. I would assume that, you know, Brad would want to run one of, of both. Now that Brad can split these horses up, he might want to split them up a little bit more, but I would imagine he'd want to run either the Alice look or wet paint in there. Um, obviously Godolphin wants as much rep uh, representation on these big cards. So yeah, I would envision that this will be the next big objective for the majority of them. And then, you know, you'll have a group go to the coaching club, American Oaks, and you'll see where they, how they sort themselves out at that point. You know, there is no, I don't think there's a clear separation between any of the top horses and everybody else like there might've been last year. So you're not going to have like a nest and secret oath that might just become so much better than everybody else. I'll tell you a horse that actually would be a lot of fun for cutting back a little bit down the line is Darth Vader. She mm -hmm. ran fifth she didn't really run bad at all. Yeah, she ran great. Was yeah. she she was she the best of the speeds? Um, yeah, maybe a little bit better than Pretty Mischievous. Yeah, she was a little, she was closer. She was best. Yeah, of can, yeah, you can consider. Yeah, Pretty Mischievous was pretty close. Pretty but Mischievous no, was pretty close to her. Yeah, yeah. but she, had, she on pace figures she was five faster. So she was she's in that depends on how you define it. Kind of a kind of a thing. Right. Um, Black Eyed Susan zero oak sources will run back, but it sounds like we'll have some familiar names in there with uh, Fiza and, uh, and Julia shining coming back uh, sacred wish for the black type team. It seems like it could be a little bit more star power than we, than we see in that race, uh, but no Oaks horses, right? 
Yeah, no, I, I doubt it. Um, I, I can't think of maybe. I mean, I could see Kenny McPeak running Defining Purpose back or something like that. You know, one of the guys that are a little bit more aggressive. But um, is Todd going to run Julia Shining in the Black Eyed Susan? I saw him mention that. This but, is probable here. Yeah. It's I think, you know, the, horse is, the other horse that's lurking out there that, that I haven't seen anything on, and unfortunately, as of last week, she hadn't worked, is Punchbowl. Yeah, I'm not seeing her listed in probables, but yeah, that that no, also- she hadn't worked as of last week, so I don't I don't think she's gonna go. Um, I'm hopeful that she could come back for the acorn, but she could be the horse that that gives them all trouble down the line. Yeah, that's an interesting Maybe I'm call. rating her. No, I mean, based on what we've seen and the overall quality of the group, it doesn't sound crazy. Now, no. obviously. We're, we're an hour in here. I just want to at least shout out some of these other big performances we saw. One, for me, one of the highlights of the weekend, just personally, especially being there with my mom, first derby, and Perrin, first derby, wow. was getting to tell them the Cody's Wish story and then watch that awesome uh, roll down the center. I mean, <laughs> for a horse that runs like that, he, he, he you don't often see one coming from that far back who looks the winner every step of the way, do you? <laughs> Yeah, he was great. I mean, I, I I tweeted on Saturday afternoon. He's the best horse in training, and I firmly believe that. Um, it's a yeah, he's an easy horse to get behind, and I loved hearing Bill Mott say that they'll give him more opportunities uh, to stretch out again down the line. He's been effective around two turns, obviously, and he's run okay at nine furlongs. So, yeah, here's to hoping he continues to move forward. We've seen the dirt mile to Breeders' Cup Classic move before. Wouldn't that be something we if, if, we, we if the dream? can go that far that would just be ridiculous who else really impressed you uh up to the mark one we certainly have to discuss yeah up to the mark was terrific a uh, horse that had hinted at having some pretty serious ability at Gulfstream, put it all together on a big stage you'd have to imagine domestically one of the biggest hopes for the manhattan where did smile happy's race come from there 110 on the buyer speed figure scale. And if you just took that race, literally, you, you could put him up there as one who uh, who, who you could say could be a, a, a Breeders' Cup Classic player for sure. Yep. If, yeah, if he's able to run back to that, we'll see in the Foster. But uh, this was a pretty compelling performance, no doubt. He looked like the winner the entire way. Yeah, he really was. He was very, very good. And, and I, of course, I, I tried to beat him. Um, but, you know, this is a horse we've always always had hopes for. And, and, and it was good to and it was good to, to, to see in that uh, in that regard. And certainly one will follow along the way. How about you? What else? What else impressed you? What else do we need to talk about Friday or Saturday? Um, I mean, those were the those were the main efforts. I didn't see anything more that that really I thought was was too um, out of this world. Um, I, I thought that there were some horses that underperformed as favorites that were a little disappointing. There were a lot of horses that I bet that underperformed on Saturday, especially, but I'm not going to hold that against them. Uh, good to see Caravel win back and she's oh, a horse getting, getting easy to, to root for. And she took the, the softer objective and apparently they're going to ask it now. I think that's the idea. And I almost wonder, and, and this is just pure speculation. But the fact that they took such an easy race, if they have any thought of looking to do the King Stan Diamond Jubilee double at Ascot, and that's why they went so soft on her. I mean, that doesn't really feel like a Brad Cox move, wheeling back in uh, four days, but I just, it did. Brad Cox doesn't like to run his horses four weeks apart. He's going to bring them back in four days. I know. I'm just trying to figure out why 
you know, you got to figure on figures. Would she have won the, the race for 200,000 more the next day? You would think yeah. so. So it just made me wonder why they were so conservative. But maybe that it's just the whole idea of shipping over to ask it was like, well, we're going to be asking her to do all that. We better. And they know the boss wants to win there. So maybe, you know, maybe maybe that was the maybe that was the thinking. I mean, you know, not everybody cares about. I mean, this is going to sound insane, but, you know, it is the sport of Kings. Not everybody cares about the extra 200. Right. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> Which sounds it, all the time. it sounds insane, but it's right. Well, that was a good pull by you. That that, that we surely needed to, to mention her. Um, General Jim, how serious of a, of a horse is he? I, I'm curious to know if, what, what, what you, where you think he fits in the, you know, will we see a, a cutback horse later in the year for race like the Alan Jerkins, or is he the kind of horse you think is going to stay in those spots? Will he stretch out? What are they going to do with him? I think they'll keep him short based on the way he ran. They might give him one more opportunity long, but um, I think he'll stay short and look, it, it looks, it looks like whatever he does, he'll do well. I love that. You got into your betting. I'm sure specifically on Redboard rewind folks are going to check that out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'll talk more about what happened with me on some other shows. Generally speaking, the, the moral of my weekend is it's better to be lucky than good. And also having good friends to talk stuff through with and be able to, you know, help with construction. Cause I, on my own, I think it would have been one of the worst weekends I ever had. And it ended up being a, a pretty strong one. Specific shout out to Philip Shelton for uh, putting forth the case for web slinger at one of our events. I, I would have looked over him from that post, especially. And that was, uh, that was the key, I think, to that big paying uh, late pick five on Saturday. Any closing thoughts for you, Nick, before we get out of here? No, it was great to have the Derby behind us now. All guns for Baltimore. All right. Good stuff. My friend, we will be talking soon. Um, stay tuned. We're going to have shows. I think pretty much every week. Uh, there, there's just so much to cover. Uh, Ramiro going to be on Ramiro Restrepo uh, made his owner principal owner. Um, there's a big partnership, but Ramiro is very associated with him. Um, going to be on JK plus one. That's going to be worth catching. I want to do something with Marshall Graham about uh, the markets uh, on, on Derby day. And he had some points he wanted to make about CAWs in general. We'll get that on these airwaves. We will be doing some stuff about racing's uh, social license to operate as well. Keep it tuned in the money media on YouTube. If you want to get everything, you got to subscribe to YouTube and you have to subscribe to In The Money Media on your podcast feed wherever you get those. Thank Nick one more time. We'll thank our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. Learn more about our connection with them and the work they do, trfinc.org slash players. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos.